Pudding people, and welcome to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your most amazing host, Richard Geiger. Here with me tonight is not anybody else. That's not a big deal. We just got ourselves a little quick discussion today, a follow-up, if you will. Um, If you guys remember, a few weeks ago, we posted a a nice little discussion about Indie PopCon. Indie PopCon was a nice little convention uh, close to us up in Indy. Got to talk to a lot of different folks. Got to talk to, you know, an, an actor, a voice actor, a couple voice actors, actually. Really good discussions, really good visit. And we had our little discussion on what we saw, what we thought all that fun stuff. Well, one thing we kind of left out was a really awesome artist. Now, we had actually seen this artist when we went to NWI Comic-Con. Oh, gosh, when was a couple months ago uh, up in northwest Indiana. And we had talked to him a bit when we were up there. Uh, But this time we were able to kind of get a little bit more... I, I guess you could say alone time with him. He he was more than willing to sit down and have a chat with us. Uh, just about a whole bunch of stuff. We end up talking. We we only said we we're going to take up you know like fifteen minutes of your time, but we ended up chewing on oh gosh about half an hour worth of his time. So we ended up with a really solid discussion. Now the person that we're going to kind of follow up with and have our uh, interview played for you is Mr. Stuart Sager. So he's done a lot of, when I say a lot, I mean a lot of different art for, gosh, any number of subjects. And we discuss a lot of those projects in our in our in our talk that we had with him and some of the 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 current works that he has as well and some of them may surprise you um one of them for sure uh, when he was talking about one of the comic books I, I saw some of the books and some of the art on display and i was like they, they have a, a comic for that i was just thinking in my head and you know we had a little discussion about some of those things too so just an all-around real good follow-up on our, our, our Comic-Con, because we, we saw things and we talked to people, but this was uh, the one person that we kind of tried to talk to early on when we were walking around and looking at, looking at uh, the different displays and you know, some of the some of the quote celebrities, the voice actors, the actors weren't all kind of filled in yet. And he was pretty busy. I would say of the people that we saw walking around, you know, folks that were selling various bits and pieces of things that Stuart was actually consistently busy because he had plenty of works on display that you could just readily buy, but he would also just, you know, anytime you wanted to walk up and say like, can you do this for me? He was like, yeah, I'll do it. And he, he was always constantly creating pieces uh, of his work right in front of your face. Uh, and we just happened to catch him when he had a break from all the stuff that he had already been working on. And it was a, one of the better discussions I think that we've had in quite some time. 
So, um, like I said, just a real short discussion this week. We're going to have this little intro. We're going to have his his uh, interview. And like always, we're going to try and post a lot of these things on all the different platforms that we can kind of get them on. Now, one thing uh, I want to make sure everybody knows about is our YouTube channel. We've been posting YouTube videos now for a couple months, and a lot of our YouTube videos tend to be our whole discussion, right? So um, an hour, maybe an hour and 15. And when you consume stuff on uh, YouTube, an hour is just too long. Most people watch a 10, 15-minute YouTube video, and that's where their limits are going to be at. So our Comic-Con, for example, our Comic-Con segment that we had, uh, what I'm going to try to do here is chop that up into smaller, more consumable segments. Same thing with our more recent post where Ken visited uh, Origins over in Ohio. Once again, try to chop those up into smaller, a little bit more consumable segments. But if you go to uh, YouTube and you just look for The Pudding Guys, we definitely have our channel up, and we're just killing the views and subscribers. We got like 10 subscribers. Each video gets like five views, so just really blowing up right now. Uh, but once again, we've got our stuff posted on Twitter. We'll have some stuff, of course, here and there on Instagram. We have a Facebook account. Our big one is the, the Patreon, which we created a few months ago. So there's a lot of ways to see and kind of get a little grasp on a few things. Um, you know, the YouTube one, that one's pretty neat because you get to see us kind of having the discussion. I know when Ken went to Origins, he did a recording of one of the interviews that he did. So you actually get to see the him having that discussion with the actual person. So, you know, it's a little bit different platform than doing it on the podcast. And we'll always have the podcast, but there are other things out there that are available. So uh, instead of me kind of yammering on about uh, a whole bunch of nonsense, we'll get to playing our interview with Stuart Sager. So we are here again at Indie Popcon 2019 with a fantastic comic book artist by the name of uh, Stuart Sager. Thank you very much for uh, taking some time to talk with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So how many uh, Indie Popcons have you uh, gone to? Is this your first, second? That's been? a fine question. I think this is at least my third. Uh, at some point, the memory gets a little bit cloudy, but um, I live in the area, and I always try to support the local conventions if I can come to them. Um, uh, this one is a little bit different than a conventional comic book convention in that it has more video games, more YouTube, and things like that, but still a lot of comic books, and when I knew, heard it was coming, I thought I should come. I know I came to the very first one, and I did the program cover for it, I believe. The one that was, was that the one that was in Fort Wayne, or is that more No, recent? it was here. It was, was it here? Um, well, the first Indianapolis PopCon, I think the cover has, um, uh, I think it's Optimus Prime hold in his hand, holding it up to his face, holding Batman reading the program book, so it's a so it's an infinity cover, <laughs> but on Optimus Prime's shoulder, I think, is a My Little Pony and Mario. Nice. Yeah, this has been a little while, we'll but, I, but I did them, yeah. So... Um, a lot of our listeners are from kind of a, a sparse background, so we always like to kind of give a little bit of perspective about the history of who we're talking to. I mentioned that you are a comic book artist. Where did you cut your teeth? What was some of your earliest work that people may be familiar with? 
Um, if we go back, so I think my first, the first job I had that, that had any sort of national distribution, I think, was um, uh, the Versus trading card game, which was kind of like Magic the Gathering, uh, Upper Deck made it, but it involved uh, Marvel and DC characters. I was at the San Diego Comic Con, and I was trying to promote a self-published comic book I did called Shiver in the Dark, and there was a fan who was looking at some drawings I had, and he really, he liked all kinds of things, but he kind of was fixated on a Green Lantern piece. Um, a drawing and I I said you know we can is that the sort of thing you want to add to your collection and he just kind of said no which kind of disappointed me but he said but I, I'm an editor for a art director for um, a Green Lantern trading card game and I'm looking for artists would you draw some of these for me sure it went, you know the no turned into the best answer imaginable I think that was around 2004 maybe three frankly it's a little cloudy but if that's not the answer most people know me from, in around 2005 and 2006, I drew uh, the Lego comic book based on the toy line Bionicle. And DC Comics made that as well. And that was something that was, I know they told me it was translated to, I think, nine total languages and went all over the world. So Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, great. So that, that is your, because I'm not as familiar uh, with your projects as, let's say, Ken would be. But has that same style kind of progressed all throughout the things that you have done? Like how you present all Is it the same or do you kind of adapt a little bit? Well, if, if you're any, you know, how can I put this? Drawing comics is a little bit like being an actor. You know, how, how wide is your range? What can you pull off? Uh, even if you are really good at drama or comedy, you're often known as one or the other and you kind of get asked to do that thing over and over even though much like acting a lot of us like to try to work on different sort of sorts of projects in the case of bionicle i think it was um it was the first comic book that i was doing regularly and i um i had this kind of weird lesson that it taught me whether it meant to or not and that was i was asked to try out for the toy and i knew a little bit of the toy i knew it was around and uh i knew they were little robots and they knew it was for kids and i came to the conclusion, well, I probably need to draw it in a clean style. Robots have hard lines. Um, a Lego is usually thought of something as bright colors, and I just sort of talked myself into this very clean style. And the editors who asked me to try out for it said, no, 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 we know what you do. Go ahead and do your thing. It's a little loose and expressive. And in fact, they specifically asked me not to look at the previous artists they'd had. They were looking for something new. I didn't know they were looking for something that... Um, would sort of take their existing toy line and, and have it appeal to an older audience. They were looking for a darker, more expressive style. I still wasn't sure that was the right way to go. I remember I sat down to make the piece, and I thought to myself, you really ought to go ahead and clean up your art a little bit. It'll, it'll suit, the su uh, suit the subject better. But at the same time, I thought, well, wait a minute. What if I make a, a nice, clean piece of artwork, and they love it and offer me the job? How in the world do I live up to that page after page after page? So I was convinced there was no way they really wanted me, but give it a shot, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I looked at it through my eyes and I said, you know, if I were gonna do it, what would I want it to be? Um, and then I just made this crazy expressive piece and uh, they really liked it. I ended up getting the job a couple months later and was kind of dumbfounded, but it is a situation where people can come to you with an expectation of what you've already done if an editor is good and an art director uh, can sort of talk the talk and take time with you, they can say, I like this, I don't like this, do this. But usually they know you for a few things and they'll point to what, they, what you've already done and they like. You know, 
hey, I like what you did here, now make it this character. Okay. Um, but I think it's fun to, to try different things and work in different styles. I don't get asked to do much that's cartoony. Um, my palette has always been kind of dark, but the last several years I've been using a lot of bright pinks and, and clean yellows, and it's a new thing for me, and I can see new fans responding to it. I can see some people being surprised by it, too. Um, there's a Vampirilla reanimator cover that I turned in uh, for Dynamite. I think it was, you know, the one number two. Yeah. She's holding this uh, the syringe of the uh, reanimator fluid in front of her face, and it is really loose and expressive. And I did that thing. I turned that in. Um, I sent it to the editor. I didn't turn in a sample or a sketch or anything. I just said, "Hey, I made this. I think it's really cool. Um, this isn't the style we necessarily agreed upon or what you're expecting from me, but I like it. And if you like it, I'd be happy to run it. And if you don't like it," tell me I will happily remake it because I knew I wasn't giving them what they were used to getting but I thought it was a strong piece what was really cool was the editor there says uh, yeah this really caught me off guard but I really like it and let's go ahead and do it I think one of the things that was interesting there was this was a comic book that had a couple different covers and I think that um, Vampirilla has been around for a long time we, if we close our eyes we can kind of imagine what a Vampirilla cover is going to look like all right, there's going to be a full moon and probably a tombstone, and it's very dark and moody, and okay. Um, in this case, I made one with a lot of pinks and yellows. It was close up, and instead of this sort of Enric St. Julian sort of style, it was more sort of like Sienkiewicz, Dave McKinney kind of thing. And they went over. And I, I kind of feel like the, some of the best pieces can come out of being willing to take some chances. Not everybody's going to like it, but hopefully you'll have a few people who love it. Well, kind of along those lines, what what styles really influenced you? I mean, what uh, what do you draw? And you talk about having a very expressive uh, artwork style. Do you do you like the expressionist period? Is that uh, something that you really draw from, or are there certain artists that really kind of speak to you? In comics, I grew up a Neil Adams fan. He was my hero growing up. Um, and when I couldn't find him, I found uh, Jim Aparo working on Brave and the Bold, who was really, really good. I, I grew up a DC fan, and I was, you know, we're talking five and six, seven years old, and I didn't really read Marvel comics. Um, I was used to um, gauntlet gloves, logos on the chest. You know, uh, the X-Men, a lot of them didn't have logos at all. I just thought, you guys look strange. But I was pretty little. <laughs> um, but I remember Micronauts came out, and I had that toy, and it pained me so much to see how talented Michael Golden was. And I knew it was a Marvel comic book, and I felt a little bit that I was betraying my Batman roots, but I had to pick it up. And so I never thought of it, but Michael Golden probably is more of an influence of mine than I ever paid attention to. I think Adams was, it has to be the number one guy. If you look at my hands, it shows up there. Apero made such lush backgrounds. He really could draw the world, and um, he's a good storyteller. I hope there's more of his work in mine than I, than I see, because I just think he's that talented. Um, but, you know, I, I was kind of, like a lot of artists, when you're young, you kind of have a, something you really chase an ideal. And that, was, that really was um, Neil. You can look at my hands and some things I do with faces, and it's, it, I just got a hold of it too young, and it got into my blood. I was never one of these kids who looked at something and redrew it. I spent a lot of time, if I drew, it was maybe a class, and I'm always drawing out of my head. To this day, I, I don't use many references. But that stuff made such an impression on me. And I remember I got to be, I don't know, it was in my 20s, and uh, 
I wasn't exactly hitting the bullseye of you know being able to exactly do this Neil thing. And, and yet at the same time, I can't say I ever tried to be him, but I never got to where I felt I was really satisfied with exactly what I was doing. And, you know, I could tighten it up, but, but it was kind of going to only be a t- more tight version of what I already had, if that makes sense. And it started to turn stagnant. I could feel it. I wasn't getting any better. I wasn't growing, and I didn't feel terribly challenged. And um, about that time, of all things, I looked at uh, an old Warren Vampirilla, Esteban Morado is in there, if you guys know who he is, the listeners. Go look him up. He's wonderfully talented. But that guy um, would do some really interesting things with high-contrast black and whites. You know, we've all seen comic book panels where someone would draw a silhouette of a figure. You know, Esteban would do it sometimes where the silhouette would be in white and the background would be black. And that doesn't seem like a terribly, you know, uh, ground, earth-shattering thing, but I hadn't seen that. Mm Mm-hmm. And he would draw some things where shadows weren't black. They would draw an outline of shadow and he'd leave it white. And I sort of saw him and I thought, that guy's good and he's doing some things. It's still comics, but I haven't seen it. And then what that did more than anything else was once I had my mind open to being able to see this sort of different, loose art style, I glanced over at Bill Sienkiewicz, whom I had neglected too long, and said, oh, this guy really is good. <laughs> you know. And, and then that happens and you start trying some new things. And I can tell you, I learned once I sort of unlocked my brain to be willing to try to enjoy different art styles, do different things, my growth learning curve just took off. I learned more in like the six months after just being willing to say, what else could I do rather than trying to do this one thing than probably the three years prior. Well, that kind of goes to, I guess, another similar question was like, has art always kind of been a natural thing? Or has it been, I've been good, but I've really, really worked hard to get to where I'm at now? I tell this story pretty regularly that um, if you're, every time I do an interview, I always end up talking about sports one way or another, and it's weird. So I'm going to do that right now. So it's kind of odd. I like it. Go ahead. Okay. So um, if you know um, John Stockton, I think this is John Stockton who said this. He uh, Look him up again on the internet. He's a great basketball player for the Utah Jazz. I think he holds the record for most assists ever in the NBA. Okay. But he has some amazing shorts. He, he, short shorts. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, he, uh, I think in his Hall of Fame speech, he said, you know, I was never, no matter what team I was on, high school through pros, uh, I was never the best player on my team. And I th- think that somehow I, I heard that and that kind of rang true for me somehow because um, in high school I wasn't the best artist. In college, I was the best. I didn't. I'm self-taught. I knew kids who were taking the art classes seriously, and um, I went to some live drawing and hung out with them, and I studied a lot of art history. But that was a really different path. I was on this path that was really absorbed by comics and absorbed with drawing for reproduction. I studied journalism, and so in college, I drew for my school paper. But you know, I couldn't use a lot of graphite. It doesn't photograph well. Well, I. You know, if I want a grayscale, I have to either uh, use some Zipatone, which is what we did in comic books, or I might, you know, do it with an ink wash, but then I have to put a screen tone over it, which means you don't ever have a truly good black anymore. And you start learning all these techniques about how to draw to reproduce. And so I was kind of on that path. But um, art was always something that I that I did for fun. Uh, I, I joked that uh, the advantage that I had for being a good comic book artist was that when I was very young I was very good at math 
And what that means is when you're in school and everybody has to do math, my math was done and it was right and I had a lot of extra time. And you can't talk, you can't leave. So, you know, you're, you're first grade and you're losing your mind. Well, you get to draw. And I got to draw a lot in the first couple of years of school because I could just blast through it. Um, I've got drawings of, you know, Batman and the Flash from first grade. And, and uh, if you do that when you're young and it's fun and it stays fun and interesting, you kind of turn into this. I can tell you that when I was 13, um, I typed up a resume and I got a, a job at my local comic shop. And if you want to talk about a real great education for this, this industry, I was very fortunate because that was a shop that carried a lot of gold and a lot of silver. And primarily, I didn't work with new comics. So, um, you know, I was probably 15 years old and I knew who Wally Wood was. I knew Jack Davis was. Um, I'm fortunate my, my, my family were uh, antique dealers who specialized in lighting. You know, my, my, uh, I was looking at a Frank Frazetta book one time. I was probably about 16. And my dad said, you want to know where Frank Frazetta got it all from? He pulled out a Howard Pyle book of pirates and he laid it out. And it's kind of, I, you know, this incredible thing when you're young and you just kind of feel like all the comic book artists you looked at, you know, they, they came out of nowhere. No, there's a long lineage. And they looked at somebody before you you know I just mentioned I looked at Neil Adams I'd like to think that I learned from him and there's someone who's going to learn from me but it, it goes back to infinity and it sounds like a silly thing but when you have a family that really likes art it's what an advantage you know I mean you're I, I can remember my parents drawing every once in a while just for fun um, but I've always loved it and I always did it for fun and I t if you're if you're young and you're out there and you want to draw comics or get better at this stuff I say draw it do it because you enjoy it but also try to make sure you leave some room for it to still be a challenge and interesting. If it stays fun, you're, you'll be willing to do it. I hate washing dishes, and I don't enjoy it, and as a result, I'm probably not very good at it. <laughs> I, I think that's forgivable. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But you ask, you ask some questions I have a lot of material on, so I can ramble. But <laughs> Ramble on. <laughs> yeah. Um, hit me with another one. Well, I, I've kind of noticed... Some of your art, like, I want to know about the materials that you use when it comes to creating a lot of the pieces that you've got. So I always say, use whatever works best for you. When I, no editor, no publisher I've ever worked for has ever said, how do you make this stuff? And I can, I don't use really wild or exotic materials, but within the comic book world, I do use some that people don't see as often. I've used oil pastels. A lot of people in art classes use those, but. Typically in comics these days we use ink and, and very often if we use color it's uh, it's Photoshop. That looks great, but they look different. So you gotta you know pick and choose what you want. But I always say nobody's ever asked me how I use or what materials I use. Use whatever works best for you and be willing to try lots of things. I think in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, which is a fine book. Yeah, the Buseem is great. I've seen all the original art pages from that book. Really? That that was incredible. To see that Namor hunched over, looking over his shoulder and hold it, that was incredible. Um, but uh, that book, I think, has a page where it says, you know, get this ruler, get this bottle of ink, get this brush, get this pencil. And it's really easy to be young and see that and say, okay, those are the magic tools that if I can mix the alchemy together, they'll make everything else I need. And... Um, Right about the time that I was getting into that Esteban Morado stuff and trying some different things, I was reading an interview with Joe Kubert, and somebody said, I really love how you make your smoke. And he said, uh, they said, how do you do that? And he said, oh, I just stick my finger in the ink and smear it. <laughs> and I thought, 
yeah, okay. And it was almost like this validation where I kind of felt like, you know, uh, if it works, use it. You know, when you don't necessarily need expensive tools, you know, I guarantee you, you can give Michael Jordan the cheapest pair of shoes on the planet. He's going to beat me at basketball, you know. Uh, but typically when I make comic books, I, I computer color them. Uh, I still like to draw entirely on paper. I'll usually work up something as sort of like a simple black and white drawing. They, they kind of verge into being more like simple black and white paintings because I'll use some gouache and maybe oil pastel and chalk pastel. And I will layer my lights and darks on top of each other. Hal Foster said, no, no, don't do that. Hal Foster, the creator of Prince Valiant. You guys are nodding. I love that. Yeah, we... Uh, uh uh, I'm in the process of putting together uh, kind of a, a database of all comic book and comic strip related movies that led me down an entire rabbit hole of okay. the original Prince Valiant stuff. So, yeah, it's it's some of the some of the it appeared in comic strips in in a way that other strips just couldn't. It uh, it had kind of a a cleaner style than you would see. At least I felt it did. It, it jumped off the page the way other comic strips just didn't. He's really clean, and he his rule of thumb was: uh, if you want something white, you leave it white. You don't add paint back on top of it. So his originals are remarkably clean. I think of all that chain mail that he drew, mm. and you know I would have been tempted to just put down some black ink, put some white dots on top of it. But that's not how he does it. He will draw the white loops, leave the paper showing through, and draw black around it. Well, I already told you I like to layer my lights and darks. When I ready did that, I kind of felt like, good for you. If it works, do it. But that sounds like a lot of trouble. <laughs> but have you ever seen some original fl- I, how, uh, Hal Foster pages, particularly Flash Gordon giant tabloid tear sheets from the 30s? Uh, the originals are stunning. I'm not diehard uh, uh, Prince Valiant fan. In fact... I really like Alex Raymond Flash Gordon from 1934, yeah. but if you've never seen one of these or handled them in person, you don't, you can't really realize just wh- how special and wonderful those things are. I mean, they're really big, and they are clean, and the detail is fantastic. And in a world where you know, obviously, no internet, but no television, you know, magazines, color printing was expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, there were very few things that had that kind of impact that you could hold and own, let alone have it come to you every week. And if you were five years old, that that Sunday page might be, you know, three quarters the size of your body. I mean, these things just must have had incredible impact. They're really neat. So have you, uh, kind of going in a slightly different direction, have you had the chance to collaborate with someone uh, who has helped, uh, either helped you stretch your style in a direction that you might not have expected or that it was just... Uh, really fun to work with this person and produce something that you still kind of look back fondly on? No. And I really wish I did. I always kind of felt that um, uh, the best thing that happened to uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney is they found each other. That was it. I mean, it really is it. I don't know if either one of them would have done anything without the other. Not that they both weren't talented, but they challenged each other. You know, they they were both encouraged and inspired and, and had to stay keep up with the other person I think there's something really kind of magical about that and a lot of comic book creators have that sort of thing um, you know Alan Davis has had other anchors but uh, you know how long has it been since we've seen him without Mark Farmer yeah. they just you know there's burn and there's burn in Austin there's these these are these are tastes that go well together the the peanut butter and jelly um, I think one of the things that's tricky for me is my pencils are all from very, very loose. I don't know why anyone would want to ink my pencils. I, I don't usually do full pencils. 
uh, they're just kind of like layouts. And then so much of what I do is done in the ink. And if I ink you, it's not going to look like you. It's going to look like me. I, I, uh, I think that I'm pretty good with ink, but I'm only good at being me. I know there's some inkers who are really good at sort of picking out what the artist is doing and, and making what the penciler has said come out. And for me, it's, I look at it more like a piece of sheet music that I can play any instrument with or turn it into whatever I want. So I don't, get, I don't get asked to do a lot of that stuff. Occasionally I've been asked to ink something and do my thing and people know what they're getting, but it's just not all that often. I wish there were a writer I could say that I really, really clicked with. There's some people I'd look forward to working with. If you're listening, I keep saying this, I really would kind of like to work with um, uh, Pat Mills. Yeah. I think Pat Mills is uh, crazy. I mean, but that's what I want him for. You know, he'll really dial it up. Martial law was at sometimes wonderful and sometimes baffling, but it was absolutely his. You know, and I think that was one of the things I liked about him. Um, there are a lot of people I've looked up to, and I would sort of enjoy the collaboration. But I think that um, I know there are people who love my artwork, and there are other people who hate it. You know, and there, I'm, I'm, my style is of a sort that I think there are always going to be people who aren't going to like what I do. Uh, that's okay because the ones to get me really get me, and so pairing me up with someone is going to be a little bit tricky anyway. I know that happened. That happens with a lot of uh, artists that, that go with a very stylized approach. I know back in the day when I was still uh, buying entirely too many comic books and Jay Lee popped out on the scene, yeah. he was very much like that for me because he had a very specific style and you knew what you were getting when you saw his stuff and some people loved it and some people it just just didn't work for them. Jay's a really interesting person. He's, um, uh, he's an interesting person. He's an interesting artist. Uh, Every comic book artist and fan, we always get together and we talk about, so who are the artists you like? And uh, I think, I've, I know I've said this a couple times, and I keep waiting to, to put it to the test, but I think of all the artists under age 50, uh, Jay Lee's my favorite, and he really is. He's wonderfully talented. Um, I think that he has done the, the thing that we all want, and that is make something that is really pretty, really attractive, really consistent, and absolutely your own. You know, I, I remember when he showed up and he was young and it was really, oh, you know, his Namor stuff is, has got a lot of action and aggression to it, mm -hmm. which is really uh, the strong point of that moment. But he grows past that and he starts using a lot of photo reference. He was telling me and he tightens up and he constantly evolves. But I think he's at this point now where it's this completely mature style that took, you know, 20 years to get here. And it was only going through those other stages that this butterfly comes out. And... Um, it's it's he's one of those guys when you see him do it it's just sort of like it's absolutely his that is such a an incredible thing to have i i think i draw pretty intuitively but um i don't think that i have shake that i've that i've knocked off uh you know the um the influences i look at jay and i was like i can't tell who your influences are at all well i guess i have a question about a sort of collaboration yeah uh, and that's your the the comic you're doing now the kiss the kiss one. Yeah. Yes. So how how do you how do you come about that? I, I I doubt Gene Simmons walks up and says, "Hey, let's do this." You know. That came about of all. There was just a series of domino events, and I I, I this is how odd this industry can work sometimes. So I've been working drawing comics for a long time. I, I worked on the Man of Steel movie. Um, I did comics of like X Files and Thirty Days of Night, 
and at some point there was a retailer who wanted me to do an exclusive cover for him for Deja Thoris. Okay, and I thought I better find out a little bit of information about the 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 uh, the publisher for this. It was Dynamite, who I'm working for now on Kiss, and I walked over and mentioned to the editor, "Hey, can you tell me a little bit about this?" And he knew my work, and he just kind of almost flippantly said, you know what, I need to give you some work anyway. And he said, do you want to do a G.I. Joe cover? I need one for a crossover with Six Million Dollar Man. And I said, sure, that sounds great. (laughs) I did it. It looked good. It was on time. Someone else in the office saw it and said, hey, we're doing, uh, I need a cover for Jeepers Creepers. Would you do that? I did it. It looked good. He gave me the rest of the series. (laughs) But at that point, I started drawing something kind of monstrous. And uh, I think they sort of looked at Kiss and they saw the drama that I could pull off in Jeepers Creepers. And I was offered the Kiss book. Now, this sounds kind of dumb, but I don't know if any of this would happen if there hadn't been one retailer saying, would you do a Deja Thoris? They all happen so easily. One leads right into the other. But I think it's a jump to go from Deja Thoris to Kiss. Um, But... uh, Kiss is a little bit different because it's got such a, a, the audience is so rabid. You know, the people really know it. And the thing, uh, I always, I'll tell you this, you always got to be careful when you're dealing with a character that is a real person because you have likeness issues and then you also have um, what I want to call is sort of like other issues of reality. Here's what I mean. I'll come back to this in just a second. I used to talk with the manager of my comic books where I grew up working for, and we would debate over who was the best war artist. And he, I would say it was Joe Kubert, and he always said it was Russ Heath. Now, everybody's allowed to like their favorite. They're both good choices. Yeah. But he argued, he said, if, if, he, if Russ Heath is drawing a war comic and it takes place in northern Africa and it's 1942, he's like, he's going to draw the right tank that was in that part of the world and the gun is going to have the right bolt on it or whatever, you know. And I said, no, 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 no. Joe Cooper draws better people, better emotions, better expression to me. War is not about guns. War is about people. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. You agree with that or you don't. I don't, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. He and I never agreed on that. But if you are somebody like me and you have that outlook that uh, war is about people, to me, Kiss is about people, too. Music, you know, if I already said Michael Jordan can beat you in any pair of sneakers, that means that uh, Gene Simmons can play any bass. But I have found out <laughs> you don't draw just any base. Yeah, you get a little pushback there, yeah. Right. So there are people who feel like my old manager says, no, 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 you need to draw the right tank. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had people come up if I, if I draw the Punisher, what gun is that he has? And I say, it's one that shoots bullets? I don't know. You know, it's big. It looks good. It's intimidating. But, but that's the sensitivity. You kind of have to be aware of that. And in the case of the Punisher, well, he doesn't really exist. And I don't think Marvel is terribly concerned if I draw a specific gun on the Punisher. But in the case of Kiss, uh, they do play real instruments, you know, and they play real instruments for different songs. And, and you know, if I draw a particular instrument, it can say something that maybe I meant to say or didn't mean to say. And you kind of have to be careful about stuff like that. But, but at the same time, how long is, in the comic book world, how long is Gene Simmons' tongue? Is it six inches six feet they're both fine mm-hmm. so it's weird that i have to be <laughs> i've got to write i have to draw the right guitar but don't worry about how long the fingernails are you know it's or the teeth we can do whatever well it's kind of amazing what people can invest their emotions and yeah yeah i um i uh i know a, a kid who bought a um an 
two two copies of an extra uh, an extra copy of an X Men comic book. I want to say it's something like one eighty five. Look this up and see if it's right. But Wolverine's middle claw on the cover is a little bit longer. I remember that. Right? You remember yeah. this, see? Yeah. And a lot of people remember this one. And it looks kind of neat, but but if you obsess over the details, you must think, oh, my gosh, he got new claws. I got to read this book. They must put a new claw in him. You know, well, it wasn't to me. I was always confused as a child. Frank Miller drew the claws like they were flat blades, and Byrne drew these things like spikes. That is exactly where I was going. One or the other, fellas. <laughs> You know, but I got older and I started realizing it was like, wait, Wolverine's not about the shape of his claws. It's about the cigar. There you go. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, though. But yeah, but I've that. That's where this all comes down to what people are, are sensitive to. I will tell you a funny story. I was at a show one time and a uh, fan asked me to draw Iron Man, and I thought, okay, I, of course I can draw Iron Man. And in my head, I sort of imagined, you know, uh, this red and yellow sort of generic Bob Layton, Gene Colan kind of outfit. You know, it's got the big circle in the middle and the, 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 the crescent point at the top of his forehead and, you know, the, the big shoulder pads things. And I drew more or less than Iron Man. You guys are nodding your heads because you know what it is. Well, it was only after the fact that I realized the fan was reading New Iron Man and Iron Man has a very specific outfit in the New Iron Man. And I could tell he was disappointed with his art. I liked it, and other people did too. And he finally revealed, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, you know, I was really hoping to get the Mark V5 Iron Man armor. <laughs> and I didn't know that, and I had no way of knowing. If he had told me, I would have given it to him. But nine times out of ten, the guy would have been happy. But yeah. it, it is this weird thing where even though we're very familiar with these characters, what, what are mental image and understanding of what the characters can really change from person to person. Now, along those lines, I have one, I have one more question oh, before yeah. we completely dominate all of your time here. Um, not necessarily to draw, but what is your favorite comic book character? My favorite comic book character? Absolutely. Um, can I have a couple? As many as you need. Okay, so I, I, I genuinely really like Betty and Veronica. I'm not lying, but, but it really needs to be from like the late 50s and early 60s when they're really snarky. Um, that would be a fun comic book to, to read and, and write and work on. I grew up a Batman fan. He's in my blood. But um, they're doing different things with him right now than what I like. I think he's a little... He's just kind of... I, I think I'd hate to be around Batman. He's kind of like always in a bad mood. I think that'd wear on me. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember years ago, I told you I worked at that comic book shop. We had a thing where we had a sort of a questionnaire. We asked everybody what their favorite character was. And Comics Buyer's Guide used to do this. And Uncle Scrooge always showed up really high. And I'm always surprised how many people come out and say, I really like Uncle Scrooge. We tend to think of comics as superheroes these days, and it leaves out all these other, you know, Betty Roddick and Uncle Scrooge and stuff. My mother's all-time favorite is Little Lulu. And if you've never read Little Lulu from the 50s, man, it is awesome. It is a reason it's been reprinted a million times. Um, uh, but to finally give a firm answer to your question, you know, Batman to me is almost like a teddy bear. He's been with me my whole life. I just kind of can't get past it. He's kind of iconic. He is. And, and I look at new Batman and Jim Lee is awesome, but I say, ah, that's not the logo I grew up with. He didn't used to have treads on the bottom of his boots. It's, it's coming back to Wolverine's claws all over again. You yeah. know, which, which is the one you love. I always love it. So I've had... 
I've had different girlfriends over the years, and I love it that the better they know me, the harder I am to buy gifts for. <laughs> because when they don't know you very well, they think, oh, he's a Batman fan. I'll go buy a Batman thing. Then they start realizing how particular it becomes, and it's crippling to pick the right one. Yeah. feel very sorry for all of them. Well, it looks like uh, that is the nod from my uh, co-host that uh, he's he is out of ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, we want to thank you very much for taking some time to talk with us. This has just been fantastic. I'm happy to. Um, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, one of these days, you guys need to have, this is the podcast I want you guys to have. Somebody. All right. I keep saying, saying to my artist friends that we need to have a, a panel discussion at a comic book convention that is comic book artists talking about old masters. And I think that's going to be hard to get done, but I have said to people, I said, would you get on stage and just talk about Rembrandt? And I'm surprised how many comic book artists would be happy to get on stage and talk about Rembrandt. Well, maybe next PopCon I can uh, set something like that up. I would love it because the, I, I, I find out he, to me, is the or the, the painter from the Masters that people either love or aren't interested in, at least in the comic book world. They have strong feelings about him one way or another, and it's kind of like a lightning, lightning rod. You, you get an artist talking about an artist that is, doesn't do what they do, but they might admire, and you'll learn a lot about how they feel about art and painting and all of it. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people that have some issues with the, the way he uses lighting. On Rembrandt? It. Yeah. I'm not into him. Yeah. <laughs> I like Anthony Van Dyke a lot better. Uh, I'm, I'm always a, I'm always been more of a, a Picasso kind of guy. Okay. Yeah. But, but now which period? Uh, his, uh, his earlier period. I was, I was not a big, big fan of some of the, the later stuff. Okay. You're talking about like Starry Night? Is that a Picasso one? Oh, that's Van Gogh. That's Van Gogh? <laughs> See, but that's I'm okay. good with my artists, right? There you go. Sorry. I know I know that there are different eras, and I don't even remember what they are at this point. Well, time. we'll start with like start with MC Escher. That's pretty easy because that's visually stimulating. MC and, Hammer? <laughs> that was good. I wish I could have thought of that. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start you on, 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 a, on a simple a simple beginning. Yeah, you maybe go with the Masters. I'll start talking about Michelangelo, and you'll start talking about Ninja Turtles. But yeah, yeah. you know, um, Shredder. Maybe. I, I love I love talking to these these artists and finding out who it is they like, who they're influenced by. I was I, I was saying this thing earlier about sort of Frazetta and Pyle. It dawned on me one day that uh, I don't know if this is the case, but I thought to myself, um, Charles Vess, that guy, that guy's gotta like Mike Kaluta Looking at his artwork. I don't know that he does, but I think he does. And I was looking at Kaluta, and I thought, my Kaluta's got to like Arthur Rackham from the 20s. I and really who does Arthur Rackham like? You know. <laughs> and I just kind of want to link all the pieces together and see how it all fits. And the reality is it's not a, a line of a chain like that. It's more no. like a web. But uh, if you study a lot of this stuff, you can kind of see how the pieces all fit together and who influenced whom. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you again. Thank and, you for having uh, me. Maybe uh, sometime in the future we can get you on and get get that other idea going. If not, maybe we'll just get an update. And or you could talk about something that comic fans care about. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's ever really been an issue with us. <laughs> we talk with whatever we want, and hopefully people will like it. I feel the same way. So yeah. thanks for having me. Thank All you. Right. Okay. And we're back after a nice little discussion. What'd you think? Pretty good talk, huh? So that, that's a, a nice little discussion to have with someone at a convention. I, I just a lot of times you go to these places and you can chit, chitty chat with people 
But to have the opportunity to kind of actually sit down and talk is, is always, I think, is always underrated as far as what their availability is and what they're willing to do to kind of get their word out on all of their stuff. Now, Stuart Sager, actually, he, he's got a lot of art that's available. You can actually just uh, Google his name. And come up with a bunch of his art. Find his website. Um, all that stuff. Uh, all the all of that stuff is out there pretty pretty easily. He just has a website, StuartSager.com, S T U A R T S A Y G E R dot com. So uh, once again, thanks for listening on a little bit of a shorter podcast this week, and we will catch up with you guys later. 